It's Cameron Almasi, and y'all are listening to Rebel Radio. Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, I bring you, I think, a really interesting conversation with Cameron Almasi. Cameron was a uh, concert promoter out of the Bay doing heavy metal shows, made uh, a little bit of a pivot into into EDM shows, and now um, he's made another move into launching a management company looking after some up-and-comers, definitely names to watch, 10K Cash, Truth, Spaceman Zach, um, and he's also the co-founder with Young Thug of the Family Business Festival. And so we have a really great conversation about what it's like being an indie player, uh, especially in a market with huge, huge competitors. And I mean, I love his perspective about uh, how you, you know, how you, how you structure the game in a way that you can win, especially when you're outgunned by these these big companies. And the analogy um, he uses is, you know, it's the Honda versus the Bugatti, right? And and we tend to think of like the bigger company is better, but um, but maybe not. Maybe you can be bespoke and uh, provide you know a much better level of service when you can focus. Um, anyway, let me know what you think. Let's get into the interview with Cameron Almasi. And then I grew up in the city. Um, oh, I've been, in, yeah, I've been in here in LA since uh, after high school. So I'm, um, right. LA's home now. But um, you're from Mexico, right? Yeah, yeah. Right on, Bay Area fan, bro. <laughs> where, where are you from? So I grew up in the outskirts. I mean, I grew up in Palo Alto. Okay. It's just yeah. easier to say SF. Sure. You know, most people don't know what that is, but <laughs> um, yeah, I grew up there. Yeah. I went to state college. I went to Sonoma State for like uh-huh. a year. Yeah, yeah. And then. Uh, and then uh, I just kind of realized, like, I was like, this this is too small town for my vibe. Like, I can't do this. And went yeah. back home and um, started throwing shows. And eventually, one thing led to another, you know, from throwing hardcore shows, started throwing electronic shows. And I met, I'm not sure if you know the Vital Events people mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. here in the, in the Bay. But I guess they caught wind of what I was doing on the electronic side of things. And we had a lot of mutual friends. And a few referrals went in their way about me. And they needed help with marketing at the time. So they, they picked me up and I started, you know, I guess that was like my first paid job in music. Was just okay. Doing marketing for them. Okay. What was it? Do you remember the, do you remember the first show? Well, actually, I want to stop you for a second. I want, yeah. I want to go back to the very beginning um, yeah. of, of this ahead. journey for you. Do you, uh, do you remember the first record you ever bought? I want to say it was Santana and it okay. was, was that Supernatural? Was that the oh, album man. they put out with, with Smooth on it? Yeah, that was like his comeback record. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that, that was produced by a, a good friend of mine, Dante Ross. Oh, no shit. A&R <laughs> awesome. legend and producer, yeah. Um, yeah. I was a yeah. good record. I was super into Latin music as a kid, bro. Is that right? 
Yeah, I mean, like, so my grandma had Parkinson's growing up, and she was super sick. My dad was always working, so, like, mm. he always had caretakers in the house, right? And they were all usually Hispanic. And so they'd always be playing, like, that, or there was, like, Mark Anthony was always playing in the house, or Ricky Martin sure. was playing in the house. And I was sure. super into it because it just, I loved, like, the, the, the vibe, I guess, of the, of the music, really. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, no doubt those, those rhythms are, are undeniable. Yeah. A lot of times. Um, yeah. And it's funny, you know, it's funny how you're obviously a long way from from that. But uh, those <laughs> but those experiences shape us. Right. And how we get introduced to, 100%. to this stuff, you know, it, it stays with us sometimes forever. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I, it's it's like one of those things where like, honestly, dude, looking back at it, it's like. I feel like music was always such a trend in my life that it wouldn't have made sense to do something else. Yeah. You know? Like, I just, I can't really see an option to like what I've done. So, so I want to, so let's, let's dig into that getting started. And you were talking about vital events a little bit. And so, um, first of all, what was the first show that you, you threw or you worked on or you got paid for or where, you know, where it wasn't just going there to party. So there was, I mean, if I'm being like super, super specific, like if I'm going to the beginning, the beginning, I was in a local band. Okay. Um, out here in the band, there was a venue in Walnut Creek called the Red House back in the day. And that was like the spot for like Bay Area metal shows. Like mm. they, all the up and comers were coming out of there. Like bands like All Shall Perish or like Fallujah. We would have like touring metal bands like The Faceless coming through there all the time. And Okay. It was a stopping ground in a lot of ways, I guess. It was a really dope, it was like a real upper class venue too. Like it wasn't like some like rinky dink place. It was like a really right. clean spot. E40 would be there all the time recording out at the studio there. Nice. Like it was a really dope spot. And the talent buyer there, um, I think his name was Thomas Johnson. Um, look, he gave my band a bunch of chances. Like I got his email, we kept in touch. And bro, like really valued my opinion. Like you'd book the tour, but then it's like, well, what's the support? Yeah. And he would let me like kind of go ham on it and just tell him who to book. And he would give me, you know, I would do that. Nice. And that was kind of like, I guess the starting job, but I never like, I didn't think of it like, Oh, I'm throwing the show. I just thought it sure. was like, I'm just helping the, the show sell out. Cause I right. want to play a good show. I don't want to play in front of nobody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I continued the band until college, like the first year of college and a buddy of mine, Seth, he became an agent for artery global like a like a boutique at the time artery was like this huge management record label uh, okay. booking agency conglomerate for metal and out of sacramento the owner eric rushing runs ace of spades over there but mm. uh he i think he sold artery recordings to like sony or something like that but yeah at the time um you know he just got picked up by that by that agency and was like hey let me put you on like a little west coast run let's see if you guys can actually tour it i like your music you're my homie like let's see what happens like, yeah. yeah, we're going to go on tour. Mom, I don't need to go to school. <laughs> so I honestly, like, you know, I think we planned around winter break of that year and we did it and it was like a week. And honestly, it was the most brutal week of my life because like anything that I think could have gone wrong went wrong. Like, you know, night one, someone gets stabbed or something at the show. Night two, someone yeah. got robbed. Night three, the promoter like runs away with the money. Night four, the van breaks down. Like anything wow. I could have. I mean, that's, like, like, that's a good no introduction to it to touring isn't it yeah so it's funny you're talking about uh well first of all you know i i went to ucla to study economics on my way to wall street as well 
yeah, and got yeah. got detoured into the music business. Um, so awesome. it's funny how that happens. But um, but you said earlier that like you know looking back, right? It's hard to imagine, you know, not working in music, right? And so was there, a, was there a moment or a day when, when you made that decision or you realized, right? Because at this point, you're throwing shows, you're in a band, you know, music is consuming your, your life, but at the same time, you're still going to college, still thinking about Wall Street, all that. So when did that shift? Um, I think the shows, the metal shows specifically, started dying out on ticket sales. Like, I just started seeing it. Like, the capacities are getting way smaller. The yeah. rooms aren't packing out as much. The crowd is older. Like, like a year or two ago, like there would be kids my age all listening to like hardcore bands like Expire and Jibalba and like would be like super dope. And that's what I loved about what Pinup was doing, especially at the time. It was like, oh my God, there's people my age that like this stuff too. <laughs> like, you know, in Death sure. Metal, you didn't see that. In hardcore, you saw it especially. But right. that community eventually started detracting away from the shows. And they were, I don't think they were into it as much anymore. And my girl at the time, I think I, I lost my ass on a show, I remember. And I was really upset. I can't remember what show, though. I, I just remember I lost my ass and I was super upset. And she took me on a drive. And you know Skyline, like, here in the SF area where it's like you yeah. can see the whole bay? She yeah. took me on a drive there and just, like, just, like, chill me out, like, put some calm music on. And we parked and I started talking to her and stuff. And she showed me this electronic producer named Getter, mm -hmm. who was her best friend's, her best friend's older brother. Okay. And I was like hey like this is what he's doing and like you guys see like he's with screw looks now like he's crushing he's just like you he loves metal like all that he just he found a new way to make that sound yeah and it kind of hit me i was like she's right like i really need to like find the next thing i shouldn't be sticking to what is in the past i need to find the next thing that's exactly what i like mm. and you know a buddy of mine actually knew getter and all that so long story short i we had a show one night it was norma Jean in one room borgo and getter in the other i go to that room uh, I meet a bunch of people, some of my best friends to this day still. I meet at that show, and they had started taking me to a bunch of shows and doing, like, I started networking a lot more and stuff like that. I just remember, and I, at this point, everything built up. I got I got a paid salary gig with Vital. Like, they were paying me, like, you know, every month. And I was like, this is super dope. Like, I get paid to do music. Like, I'll take it. Right. And... But it got in the way of my school. Like I was getting bad grades all of a sudden. And I just remember, I just remember one day, like it was like, what? Like I'm in my calculus class and like failing it because I haven't done shit, to be honest with you. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I would always be on my laptop just doing marketing stuff or answering emails. Like I wouldn't even be, yeah. you know, listen to the class and, you know, working on like, I don't know, Wobbland or something like that. And then eventually I was just like, dude, screw this like I just walked out of the class and yeah me and my me and my friends took a road trip to Vegas instead and you know never looked back and I was after that I was like you know what I'm double downing I ain't, I ain't, I'm not gonna half-ass it because I knew if I like failed like everything was gone let's say I got like the worst thing happened to me I could still go back to school and like pivot right I can't when you have an opportunity in the career you like especially like a career like music where it's like there is no real like direction or path of how you do it it you gotta just take it when it comes you know big yeah. or small yeah um sorry for the ramble <laughs> no that's great man and that's a great that's a great insight to have you know at that age yeah. kind of you know to to see that in yourself um you know i it's funny so i i mean i love the events business i started out you know promoting shows down here in la 
and and I've done events, uh, you know, I've done a lot, you know, hundreds of corporate events, that kind of thing, um, or parties paid for by corporations. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. I decided that like I, I like throwing parties, but I liked getting paid up front instead of trying to get money at the door. Um, <laughs> so I did that for a, for a long time. Yeah, um, but you know, for me, like, and and I think I saw this in 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 an uh, article. An interview with you talking about like, you know, it's such a great training in attention to detail, right? And and like you said before, there's so many things that can go wrong. Sometimes they all go wrong, you know, on the same night or whatever, right? But there's there's all these things that have to go right in order to have a successful event, for people to have a good time, to make money, to you know, for the artist to be happy, you know, all all that stuff. Um, how does that? How does that apply now? Now that you know, now you have you have a festival business, you have a management business. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, specifically in management, how does that attention to detail and that training ground you had in in events benefit? You know what? I'll say this: the events business is kind of a crappy business, if we're being quite honest. Right? It's so high risk, so low margin. It's like sure. it's, if you told like an outside investor this, like he'd be like, "You're high. Why would I put money into this?" Like, right. Right. Yeah. Um, I always tell like I've been speaking at colleges lately, and whenever they ask about what the event side is like, I always say it's like it's like it's like you're building a sandcastle right next to the tides. Like all it takes <laughs> is that right one to just come in and crumble it all. Yeah. It's like you're just trying to build the sturdiest foundation at all times and make sure it's as stable as it can possibly be and, and hope that nothing really ruins it. Um, I will say this. I think with events, you learn a lot about risk and what the meaning of risk is and like how do I mitigate my risk? How do I yeah. avoid debt? How do I avoid – how do I take something that's so highly – not like, I guess, in investment verse, like the investors just don't want to put money into it. But like, how do I take something that seems like such a bad idea sure. to make it a good idea, really? How do I maximize every ancillary and every revenue stream I could possibly think of? I mean, when you start out doing shows and like, let's say you're doing college events, right? Like we're thinking, oh, like, you know what? We just need the DJ equipment, some speakers, the, the you know, the keg and, mm -hmm. you know, people come five dollars at the door we're good right then you get to a point where it's like okay well what about up vip upgrades what about production like okay production is now like almost borderline six figure production for us or something like that right for this yeah. one event you yeah. know it's not even like it's not even like you know like a festival it's just like a regular show we're putting this much money into the production we're what is the you know where are the merchandise deals we got going on hey that parking lot across the street can we take a piece out of every every person that parks there like mm -hmm. we do validation like what can we, like you think of every little thing now yeah and i think i think this i think also like you know thing i started doing right before COVID hit was also just like realizing that there's the major promoters and then there's indie promoters that there's an ecosystem in between and there's a mm -hmm. way to utilize the majors in the way that a film studio might utilize you know the film production companies right like sure. they go like A24 might go to Warner Bros and say, hey, finance this, right? Right. Third line, I said, we started going really heavy on stuff like that right before COVID hit and like making deals like that. Um, so is that, am I, am I right with, with family business? You have uh, AEG Live, is that right? 
Yeah, we had AEG Live for the first year, and we were okay. talking with a different party for the second year. Cool. Um, COVID hit that that paused it all, but yeah, you know, yeah. obviously, on the outside of that, we were also talking to a bunch of artists because the focus we had with ABI specifically was like, hey, you, we've spent two, three, four years to build a brand, right? And the brand, what, what's the meaning behind this name that builds consumer trust? Is it we just do really good shows? And sorry, Siri just <laughs> Siri was like, uh huh. It's like, what, what is the meaning behind the brand of the events we do? Like, let's say Insomniac, right? Like, think of how long it took Pascal to make that brand to be what it is and for people yeah. to trust that name for its events and the caliber of its events. And I was like, what at its core is appealing, though, about the events? It's the artist, right? Sure. So rather than build a, I was like, with ABI, like, rather than build a whole entity that has a whole subcategory of brands, um, Let's just focus on flipping brands with artists as the partner of the event, they have equity in the event, they're mm -hmm. invested in the event, they're curating the event, and their names on the event. So it's them presenting the show, it's not us. Because who yeah. cares about us? Whether right. we're, they're going to, with failing business specifically, like, it was like, artists would trust, artists will trust, you know, Young Thug presenting a show off its first year, then... Yeah. ABI presents family business. Or AEG presents family business this first year. Most right. kids don't know who the heck AEG or ABI are. I don't, of course. You talk to most normal people, they'll never know what that name means. So yeah. that was the idea. And we were talking to a bunch of other artists doing the same concept. Um, obviously, it stalled you know, when COVID hit in March. And to be honest with you, I've been like, with ABI specifically, I've been so just like, I don't, you know, I don't really want to be the one risking it right now with like, Oh, the drive-ins. Oh, sure. you know, the, the live streams. Like there's so much going on right now. I believe there is a lot of new mediums coming out of it, but I think there's also just a lot of risk right now with just how COVID is. I mean, we're seeing it right now, how bad it's spiked in the last two months. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think it's just at this point, it's just like, it's like a sit back. Like we just need to assess this. Like, we just need to wait and see. I mean, it's funny you say, right. And, and I think in some ways, I mean, you're, you're right. The, you know, the music business in general, you know, it's a bad investment for outsiders, yeah. um, right? And, and uh, you know, like you said, the, the level of risk is just crazy to, to a typical, you know, investment outlook. Um, you know, at the same time, like that's what creates opportunity, right? And there's, there's, there's entrepreneurs, you know, like, like yourself, like, you know, you know, a lot of people that, that I came up with that um, were able to build businesses because it was too risky for, you know, a traditional, uh, yeah. you know, investor or traditional, even, you know, even, even hip hop, even dance music, right? It's like those grew on the backs of entrepreneurs who, who weren't afraid of the risks that the major labels were afraid of. Yeah. Right. And, sure. and, you know, whatever, they didn't have as much to lose or they, you know, they just had a different perspective on it. And so I think that's a really interesting dynamic of like, you know, so much of our, of our, of what we think of as amazing businesses today never existed, oh. except for someone took this incredible risk that was really stupid. And it paid yeah. off, right. Or, 100%. 100%. I agree. I, I think, for me, it's always been a challenge of like, how do I make something that seems so stupid and I acknowledge it's stupid, 
how do I make it seem so appealing? And to that's be honest hilarious. with you, I, I think a huge part of it, that's why we did like the Artist Partners Festivals. Because guess what? Like you go to an investor that's kind of cool and hip, what sounds better? It's like, hey, Young Thug has his own festival. You want to invest? Or, hey, I'm throwing my own festival. You want to invest? You're one company. Like, yeah. no, they'd be like, <laughs> yeah, of course. no, who the fuck are you? <laughs> right? right. But when you, and I, I took that actually from the film biz, where it's like a lot of the investment starts coming in. It's like, hey, this director is attached to this script. The writer mm-hmm. is this guy. The act, the lead actor is this guy. And then they invest. The investors come in, pulling yeah. into the money and doing the slate deals. Whereas like, you know, I was like, well, if I go in saying ABI is hosting Family Business Fest and these artists are performing, it's one con- concept. But if I say Young Thugs hosting his own event yeah. and these ABI is performing, it's another dynamic. No question. Yeah. So talk about the, the management business a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, as, as you started to make that transition and, and add management, I'm curious, uh, two things, you know, how is your approach different than maybe other managers given your, your background on the live side? Um, and then also, what did you do to kind of learn the parts of the business that you didn't know because you came from live? Dude, that's a really good question. Um, I'm trying to think where to start. Where, the way I've always managed an artist here and there on the side, always when okay. I was in the live stuff. But and to be honest, I had a few that went really far, and I, I think maybe had I focused on them like fully, I probably would still still be the manager. But you know what? Okay. At the time, yeah. I was so absorbed in live, and I was like, "This is all I want to do." Um, that I didn't really, I didn't really put much time into it. But when COVID hit, I mean, okay, well, let me backstory it. I had, again, like a client that I had signed after family business and we were planning the 2021 events and like the calendar for this year and what artists we were going to partner with. So I had some downtime, but an artist that played the family business event was an artist named 10K Cash. He had a lot of steam going. He was getting signed to Def Jam. Like he was, had a, he blew up on TikTok and doing the woe dance. Just do it like Kaepernick. Two bad twins ain't look like double mint. Big booty bitch in the tats up. It's too much rush you want to fuck on the low. Too much cups in the lane and I'm gone. Just a lot of good things were going for him, and um, he didn't have management. So, a few words went by, and you know, eventually he was like, "Hey, let's let's do a management thing together." And I just I went running with it, you know. I, like I, I think so. With Family Business Fest, it was such a challenge because it was like in a city that I've never done a show before, in a state that I've never even been in before. And it was in a demographic that I'd never done a show before. I never did a, like a full-blown hip-hop event of that caliber in my life. You know? Oh, so wow. I was yeah. Like, yeah, I'd only done like maybe a thousand cap room shows here and there, um, but never like to that kind of budget and extent. And I was just like, that was just my all-in card. Because I, right before Family Business Fest, I, I was just like kind of having a moment of like contemplation of whether I wanted to do music anymore or not. Mm. But I kind of said, you know, I'm just going to double down, but this time I'm do everything different. Um, and when 10K picked, let me manage him, I just, I just kind of ran with it because it was just like something so fresh, so new, so much opportunity was there and I knew it. And I liked the kid. He was super dope. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it worked out. Like, you know, he got on Def Jam, he became a universal music groups, like number one TikTok artist, like in the year, competing against like Justin Bieber and all them, New York sure. Times. Did an yeah. interview with him, gave him his top 10. And, you know, we did a lot of growth together. You know, got, we got him an agency. We, you know, got him some shows and festival plays going on and all that. And, you know, I think when COVID hit, I think 
Well, you know, I'll tell you this. 10K has always been the kind of dude that just, like, he wants to do his own thing. Like, he just – he's that wild teen. He's, you got to know he's, like, 18. You know, he's, like, he's a child. Like, right. he, he always wants to do his own thing. He's always thinking of the next, like, wacky thing to do in his life. And I just kind of noticed, like, I need to expand on my business. I can't just have one client, you know? Of course. And yeah. I w- it wouldn't have been enough, you know? And I just had decided, like, you know what? I have some downtime and I'm gonna go find new artists that I really believe in and really like and resonate with me and all that. And so truthfully, I mean, I guess this year is when management really took off for me because I just started signing a bunch of acts. So I started with Space Man Zach. Then I signed an artist named Truth. Then I signed an artist named Harper. And then I signed an artist named Will Play. Um, and I think it's kind of funny because I, I noticed all of them revolve around the same sound. They're all kind of like, not Will Play, he's, he's different, but like most of them revolve around like that dark or emo rap sound that's really popping off right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of like, I think full circle for me. Cause it's like, you know, we talked about like how with electronic music, my ex had been telling me like, Hey, you should be looking for the next sound that matches what you're into, not right. the past. And I saw these artists. I'm like, Oh my God, this is exactly what she was talking about. Like five years ago. <laughs> and that's great. You know, I, I mean, emo rap's been around for a minute, right? Like sure. Lil Peep, Triple X, Juice World, all that. But I think now it's like, a, it's a very fruitful time for it. Cause it's like, it's looking for its new ringleader. Mm-hmm. And there's artists now that are just like blending it in different forms that those are the artists weren't doing it before. Right. And then we see the MGK record and you know, all that. So it's like, we're in a really good time for rock and hip hop to really blend in. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so when you, when you find yourself in now, you know, in management with, so what's the stuff that you've had to learn on the job, right? That you, uh, like I said, you've been doing it kind of all along. But, you know, did you run into gaps or, or you know, potholes, so to speak? Yeah, as, all the as time. As you started, yeah. It happens. I mean, I think. And where do, you, where do you go with that stuff? I think the the biggest challenge is the artistic mind versus, like, the strategic business mind. Mm. Left, I always say is left brain versus right brain. It's like, sure. as a manager, you want to counter the artist. The artist is going to be an emotional person. He's going to be, you know, highly creative. He's going to have his character flaws, probably. Uh, and you as a manager need to be the business guy. You need to be the suit at the end. Of the- I mean, we've, if you've seen Entourage, you, you always see the dynamic, right? Over there right. with like, yeah. you know, um, Eric and um, Vincent Chase in the, in the show. It's, it's tacky as it is. It really actually depicts it really well. It's like one is, you know, very emotional, very, you know, go with the flow, whatever kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. The other guy is very like to the point, like I'm going to run the shit. Mm-hmm. And I think... The challenges I've learned is dealing with artists. You know, sometimes they say things like it doesn't make sense. Sometimes they want to make a decision that's probably not the best for them. And you got to, or you feel it's not the best for them. Sometimes, you know, you want to put input in certain areas that they don't want to put in. I don't know. Like, I think the biggest challenge is really just learning, learning your dynamic with each artist and where their comfort zone is with you and where it isn't. Learning yeah. how you can have control with them or like have yourself in line with them without like 
holding them back or like mm-hmm. being, not being liberating for them, you know? Um, you know, I think at the end, I, I'd like to think as a manager, I'm pretty artist centric compared to most. Like, you know, I, I believe the artist at the end, they has to always make the decisions of what he wants more than anyone else. And if he doesn't, you know, I, I think there's a big issue there. You know, yeah. he has to know himself better than anyone else. And I look into that for every artist I sign. Mm. I, I don't like to be too controlling. I like to be the guy that comes in to consult, mm-hmm. to build the team and to bring the opportunities. And if there's a, you know, if there's like, you know, hey, well, what do we do with marketing? I could build that out. I could build the plan out for them. Right. Uh, on a level of everything else, like I always think it's just like, it's, it's kind of like a, a relationship. You just kind of got to, you, you learn with your partner where her comfort zones are. are not it's the same thing with an artist, right? Like you learn what his comfort zones are or her comfort zones are. And what sure. Not, you know? Sure. No, that's great. I wish you had told me that uh, when I started my career as a manager. Yeah. Because, you know, I always felt like, you know, I was I was young and I was, you know, I was a fan of the artists that I managed. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if I look back, I was more of their biz dev person. Right. Yeah. So I would go out and try to hunt down opportunities. But I'm, you know, but I never really argued with my clients. Right. And I never really told them, like, hey, I think you're making a mistake and let's try it this way or let's like I never really challenged them. And I think that was a huge mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, it took me a long time to get to that uh, level of maturity. Well, well, now I'll challenge every, anybody. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, but I think I was, I was trying to be their friends too much. Yeah. I mean, and so it's, it's could, great. It's great to hear you say that. If I could piggyback on that for a sec. I think the one thing I learned, especially is like, I, I don't get me wrong. I've definitely fought clients early on, especially we'd have, terrible arguments with each other because we wouldn't see eye to eye on certain things and yeah i think the the thing i learned the most with management is the art of communication how can you say something to them right. that makes them want to listen to you right yeah, of course. even if it's not what they, they even if they, they don't want it at least it doesn't cause a fuss you know right yeah and that's that's the art of like man, of being a good manager i think it's like you convince your artist to do what you believe is best for him or you know, if not, at least hear him out, be able to hear him out and see, hear why, why his perspective might be right. And there's been times, I mean, 10K Cash, great example. There were certain things we would fight about for months. But then, to be honest with you, eventually I listened. And at the end of the day, when all said and done, he was right. Sure. And I can acknowledge that. Yeah. There was other things I was definitely right about too, but like, right. you know, that's the dynamic of being a manager. You of course. No. And that's, and like you said, that's how it is in every relationship and, and that's how it needs to be, right? Like you need to be able to listen as much as you need to be able to argue a point. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, now I work with clients and, you know, my, my goal is to get them to see my, de- my ideas as their own ideas. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, you, you want to lead them to something and then have them, embrace it and own it as if as if it was theirs um but i think you know i certainly made that mistake early on i think a lot of managers do that they they're you know they see themselves too much just serving their clients as as opposed to leading their clients i you know it's like i think there's like a dynamic of this in, in my in my college like presentations, I always have like this one slide. And like I said, we were talking about left brain versus right brain, right? It's like, 
on one end I have a photo of like Lear Cohen and on the other end I have a photo of like Rick Rubin mm-hmm. and I think they're like really good examples of industry players throughout yeah. not not managers necessarily but we see this right. managers too right like on one end you have the mogul right the guy that's pure business like he kids no fucks he's a shark like he'll go after it and he's really good at what he does like he's clearly at the position he is because he was so good at what he does uh in that regards but then you have rick rubin who's like the buddhist monk you know music producer that's so Mm -hmm. artist centric so artist friendly he you know he's created massive artists like he's breeded acts like you know from every genre you can think of and heavy metal to hip-hop to pop like whatever mm-hmm. rock whatnot and i would say like i think like in any part of this industry you kind of want to be the guy in the middle that can like bridge the two dudes mm-hmm. like you could be like the the eclectic a and r producer guy but you also want to be able to be that sharky mogul whatever mm-hmm. you need to do you mm-hmm. know um obviously in the favor of your clients but yeah, that, that's that's kind of how I see. It. I see like a lot of managers too. Like you know, you see guys like Sal from EXO, or you see like Moshe and people look to them like, like holy shit, they built the brand, they've done all this. But then there's also managers that like they haven't done all that, but they've actually like they built a robust business for the artist. You know, it's it's all in the dynamic of your client. You know. I'm burning the ham. These so-called gangsters don't know how to approach the man. I chop up his ass. I chop up his friends, his mamas, and all of his kids. I come with the lid. I chop out the top of the beans on Um, so you talked a little bit about you know partnering with with Young Thug on the festival business, um, and that you know I love that idea of just you know helping artists build festival brands. Um, so you kind of told me the the advantages of that which i think make perfect sense what's the downside of partnering with uh with big talent yeah um i think the part i think the biggest risk of doing that is really just like the artist being the face of a brand not every artist is good at promoting their themselves yeah. honestly and i think that that was one challenge we saw there it's like I mean, if you if you know if you know Thugs Rand, he's a silent guy. Like he he has never been this PR heavy dude. Like right. doing every interview that gets thrown at him. He's, he's that's not him. He's yeah. pretty chill. And I think that was like one challenge we saw. It's like okay, well, we need to make like we could get the billboard write ups and all this stuff, but like, we need him to like be forward facing with it as much as possible too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and, you know, I respect him and what he does because like he's clearly at the level of an artist he is. He's clearly inspired the genres and the, the generation of artists that he has. Um, you know, doing what he does best. But I think that's like looking back at it, I think that's like something I saw was being a huge challenge there in that particular event. So when you go, you know, COVID's over, hopefully someday. Um, and you, you go back to that business model and you want to start building other festivals in partnership with talent. What do you, what do you look for in, in the right partner? So, okay. If I could go back in time and just like mention what was with Doug that was so appealing, it was the fact that we're talking about an artist that is a very good live performer. He's always on really good shows. I mean, I see him at Rolling Loud all the time and I was like, this dude's crashing it. Um, iconic, legendary Atlanta rapper. Like we're talking about a guy that literally this current generation of rappers almost are like one degree away from him. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, 
they're bred through him. Sure. Him, Future, Gucci, all those guys. So we, I knew he had the stature. I knew he was already he had to have something big in the works because he had a slew of like slow releases last year or so. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this guy needs to be must be working on something big. And his team confirmed that they were. Um and I, I, you know, I, I hate to say, I, I think we just had a gut feeling that he was about to do something so big and make his, like, his biggest hits yet. And we knew that he had all the cards to be a superstar. And at the end of the day, we just wanted, we just thought it would be a great way to get him early and like, yeah. work with him on time. And sure enough, as we talked with his team, they're like, hey, he does have a new album. He's got all these collabs with these artists. Like, it's going to be a big year for us. There's a lot of PR going into it and a big tour. And I'm like, perfect. Like, this is exactly what we're looking for. So it just made sense. Um, I think with other artists that we were in contact with, it was the same thing. Okay, also, not to mention with Thug, like, it was also, like, a situation where it's, like, he's not an arena act yet, you know? Mm -hmm. And we knew that it's like he could be like we could push him that way if we, we were we partner enough and we were strategic enough. Yeah. And we wanted to do that. And so I think that's something we've been looking at a lot of the artists that we've been working with because we admit we're not you know we're not Live Nation we're not AG we don't have sure. billions of dollars to work with here like we're a boutique of two dudes. <laughs> right. And and we you know. We just, I think we're just really good at our jobs. At the end of the day, we push and we take the extra mile to make sure every show sells out. That's a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're looking for artists that we can push to that next level of artistry and help them at the same time build a brand that the consumers trust. Like kind of what Camp Flavna became with Tyler right. Creator. And they yeah. started being like a very small thing. And that was a huge, huge phenomenon. And we still have Dodger Stadium, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I love that. And I especially love the, um, you know, the, the idea of looking for like, you know, what does someone have left in them, right? Because, you know, you talk about the Live Nations, the, you know, they make their business on um, people who are past their prime that can not, I mean, that's an overstatement, right? And, and obviously they have a, they have a, a lot of businesses they're in, right? But but, you know, if I'm generalizing, right, you, you take artists who are past their prime that can tour forever, that can sell tickets forever. Um, Young global touring deals. Yeah, right. And uh, which is fine. I mean, that's that's a business model, right? But I think um, it's much harder to say, uh, okay, well, this, a person, this person's achieved, you know, X, but we yeah. think that they have this, this untapped potential still in them. Um, and to me, those are the ones, right? Like you get, you get people on the bubble and like, uh, that's the best feeling in the world. You know, I I remember when I was like younger and I was working with Vital, like Santi and Max, the the buyers, they, the founders really, but Santi and Max, they were very, so well-versed in value buys. Like they just had a good idea. Like this artist is going to be like okay, he's a 10K act now. He'll be 45K by show day. Like, he'll be a 60... And I mean, like, the wow. in the pudding. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they they were getting artists, like, you know, Nightmare for, like, fractions of what he was worth by show day or, like, Rez, mm-hmm. fractions mm-hmm. of the price of what she was worth show day. And I always... I mean, I think me and... all And it, 
they'll probably kill me for saying this, but like their margins were always great because of that. Like they would always yeah. get the artist yeah, sure. for what it was worth day of, you sure. know? And um, I always try to do that too. I was like, well, who's going to be popping this year? Like who's going to be going off? Like, can I make an analysis here? I will tell you this. I spoke, a friend of mine at Live Nation, her name is Jackie Vita. She works, she's, I think like, she took up a Carrie Davies role now in communications, mm. but she and I had talked uh, back earlier this year and she was asking, well, so why do, why would an artist go to you and do this with you when you're like, you know, a boutique versus like us? Sure. Know? And I was like, truthfully, it's the same dynamic of like, why would I buy a Honda or why would I get a Bugatti, right? It's like, there's a bespoke factor, I think, to working with us. Like we actually have an attention to detail. We're yeah. not limited to a certain amount of parties. We can shop this around to anybody we want. It doesn't have right. to be Live Nation presents or Neji presents event. It could be a Spotify or Apple Music presents this event. Mm -hmm. We have more flexibility as to what to do to get the concept done right. Yep. Um, and we have more incentive to get it done the way they want it, you know? Um, and to be honest, we can maneuver hoops way easier than you guys. Sure. You guys, hey, I, I ever work with a corporation, it's like how many – how long does it take for you to get that one marketing idea you had approved sure. and come back to you? It's like, it take, by the time they approve it, it's like, well, I, it's worthless now. I can't yeah. even do anything with this. You know? No, you're right. And I think it's, you know, it's always a good sign when people at big corporations don't understand what you're doing or yeah. they don't, or, or, or it doesn't seem, you know, feasible to them. Uh, that usually means you're on the right track. She's a homie too. I love, I mean, yeah, she's been super nice to me and super good to me. But like, sure, but it's a different you know, paradigm, right? Yeah, it's it's different world entirely. Yeah. You know, it's definitely definitely a different world entirely. You know? Yeah. Um. So you talked about you know pivoting the business this year. Uh, where where is it going? Tell me tell me what you're most excited about. What do you you know? What's next year looking like? Uh, to the best of your knowledge. Man, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I had a good answer for you there. Um, on the management level, I think I'm just like really focused on my current clients, getting yeah. them where they want to go. Um, obviously, all of them. The one thing I will say, I fucking love hip hop. I love what it's doing. Like, dude, artists can be independent now. Like, it's insane to see yeah. the numbers my clients are pulling in, and they haven't even hit their full potential. Like, they're just sure. they're just getting started. But like. You know, it's just, it blows my mind. It's like, I think in 10 years ago, you told me this was possible. Like the, the numbers are hitting, the, the, the money they can make off of streaming. I've been like, you're, you're a liar. Right. Get out of here. <laughs> like, but the fact of the matter is like artists now can be fully independent. They don't need a record label. A lot of music's so niche now anyways. That it's like, it's, there is no real incentive to go to a label, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you're not going to end up on radio. The mm -hmm. real only thing I can see is global marketing. That's mm -hmm. about the only incentive I can see. But besides that, it's like, I've worked with artists at majors. I've worked with artists that are independent. The majors, all they market to do is hire out vendors anyways. You can find right. the vendors yourself and hire them yourself, you know, Absolutely. if you have the capital to do so. Yep. And there's a lot of ways to maneuver it. So I think right now, you know, obviously my clients want to tour. Um, I want to keep pushing that independent paradigm to finding new strategic ways to like get the resources and uh, that they could receive from like, let's say a label, but like mm -hmm. not the community. I guess that's the same commitment level, you know? Mm -hmm. and I think we're starting to see some labels start to realize that too. We're seeing more labels be open to like single deals, stuff like that. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's kind of tough for me to tell you where we're going to go in the next year just because like, 
even like five months ago what I thought I was going to do. It's like not even in my head anymore. Sure. You know, and it feels like every few months I have to keep changing my plan. Um, <laughs> Which is, you know, I mean, that's, that's the world we're in. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, again, back to those roots and, in, in the events business, it's like, uh, you know, to me, what, you know, what hit me when I first started throwing clubs was like, you know, we had a great night, made some money, everybody had fun, you know, yeah. the next morning, everyone's talking about it. And we are like, oh, shit, we have another show coming up. Right. And, and now we're behind. Right. Or we're like we're, we're basically where we were a week ago or a month ago or whatever. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that's very, you know, relevant to just where business is today is that like, you know, like say, you don't, we don't know, nobody knows what's around the corner. And, uh, and to some extent we never have, but we just weren't aware of it. Right. And so I think this has made us all a little bit more aware of, uh, the precarious position that we're always in. A hundred percent. I just tell my friends, I feel like, you know, we live, especially when we're younger, we live life being like a straight linear line up. Right. Right. Yeah. The fact of matter, and like, there's like a point A and a point C. And it's like, oh, point A is like, I'm born. I'm point C is like, I'm gonna get married, have kids, a wife, right. like all this good stuff, right? But I'm like, I always tell my friends, like, life is not like that. It's like jagged. It's back. It's like abstract yeah. art more yeah, than anything absolutely. else. And the fact of the matter is, like, Love where that. your point A was when you started is the point Z that you were intending to go to is probably not where you're gonna end up going. Sure. You know, go figure. Like my whole career, it's like I thought I was gonna be when I first started. I thought I was probably gonna be like a uh, like a rock A and R. Then I ended up being like a rock <laughs> promoter, and now I'm electronic. I'm in hip hop. If you told me I would ever do hip hop music, I would have called you a liar. I would have so thought funny. I would even like hip hop. I loved right. hip hop growing up as a kid, but like, you know, yeah, I never thought that that would be a thing. And now That's I'm great. doing it. But That's great. I try to do. I try to take my clients on. Like, I have like one year plans for them, uh-huh. but I have three, like a six month plan, a nine month plan, three month plan. I almost. To be honest with you, I focus more on the one to three months than I do on everything afterwards because that's yeah. contingent upon yeah. the first three months, six months. Absolutely. You know? No, it's great. Um, I love that. Nice um, at the end of the year. For sure. Okay, I gotta uh I gotta do a little lightning round with you before Good. we let you go. Um okay. what's your favorite city to travel to? Honestly, Dallas, Texas. Okay. Yeah, it's a vibe. It's nice I've had a good time in Dallas. Texas. Yeah, good vibe, good town, good friends. Yeah, Dallas is one of those like it's it's surprising. Like it it doesn't seem on paper like it'd be a fun place, uh, just because I don't know it's in the middle of Texas yeah. and it's you know whatever. But I, I, I've loved it there. Deep Ellum, mm. Party Central. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I love about Texas, like okay, being in California, I always thought it was a yeehaw state. Right. Like it's exactly. gonna be crazy. Yeah, I go that they're nicer than California, so I'd say. Sure. Better hospitality. And I just remember it was actually the week of family business when it really hit me how nice these people are. Like it's like eleven o'clock at night or something like that. We're getting a late dinner at Deep Ellum. Go to a bar. The bartender's hanging out with us, talking to us and all that. And it's like, oh well, guess what, guys? I'm about to hop off my ships. How about we all go bar hopping together? And I'm like, Really? Like, yeah, like super friendly. Like, she doesn't care. Nice. Hang out with us. We hang out, her, her friends come over, like we all hang and talk, and like we just keep going, going, going. It's just like people and it was like not like not like by always it's not like people are hitting on each other and like that it was like literally just friends yeah like, we're just being friends yeah yeah that's so and cool I was just, that was what kind of hit me i was just like 
damn, people here are sweet. Like, they don't care. And then my friend, Mike Zemer, he's a promoter, too. He okay. hits me up there. He's like, oh, I'm down the block. I go link up with him. Like, it was just such a vibe. I, I, I don't know. Dallas is awesome. Good food, nice. too. All right. Who's your favorite DJ? Ooh. That's a good question. I want to say right now, Gisafasi. Okay. Yeah. I love Go dark on. music. He just crushes it. Nice. What's the last great book you read? I read a lot. I read a few other books afterwards, but I think Conscious Capitalism was mm. a really good book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it was by the, I forget his name off the top of my head right now, but. I've seen it. I haven't read it, but I, I've, it's on my list. Yeah. Art of War is a really now. good book, too. For sure. Yeah. Classic, but. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one I read every few years. Yeah. Kind of a yes. good reminder. You got to refresh your mind on that one. Absolutely. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? Uh, I have a Mandalorian tattoo on my arm, so probably Star Wars or Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, who's taught you the most? That you haven't met. Damn. Hmm. Question. Probably Donald Passman. <laughs> That's a good one. If you if you're if you're in the music business, you need to learn from Don Passman for sure. For sure. Oh, that's great. I've read that book every time he updates it. Like, I mean, that's another book you read over and over. Well, hey, here's the thing. My boss at Pinup when I first got started, the first thing he ever told me was, you want to work in this business? You want to go to LA? Read this book. Mm. He's taught everyone you look up to, everyone that you look up to has read this book, and that's why they're good at the job. It's the Bible. And he was that's right. No like, question. Yeah. USC, I was just speaking at USC, at in Kevin Lyman's class and the students, I put that as a resource for them. They're like, oh yeah, we have to do that every year. Yeah. I'm like, right on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is the Bible. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. That's good. That's good advice for sure. Okay. Yeah. Last one. If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? Or something like, Jesus fucking Christ, are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Being honest with you. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it has to be said. Yeah, my friends always call me Ari Gold because like <laughs> I have like that, <laughs> that attitude. But it's like I, I'm also like the friendliest dude. I'm working with my buddies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great, man. Thanks for doing this. It's so much fun yeah, taking it with you. This is awesome. uh, no, Appreciate I really, it. really enjoyed it. I'd love to have you back. You know, hopefully we'll do it in person once we're uh, please once we're done with all this quarantine. Thank you for putting me on this show too. <laughs> yeah, no, my my pleasure. Um, so, how should everybody follow you? and stay up on on everything you're doing um i mean if they want to email me my email is cameron at inertia i-n-e-r-t-i-a management mgmt.com so i-n-e-r-t-i-a mgmt.com um my instagram is at it's almasi i-d-s-a-l-m-a-s-i um i don't really use twitter or anything else though cool right on yeah. Well, we'll, we'll be watching for what's next. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, that was Cameron Almasi on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Love to hear what you thought. Hit us up on Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. You can leave us a comment on our Facebook page, Rebel Radio Net. You can find videos of a lot of our interviews on our YouTube page. 
And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.